0: All right, good to see everyone today. So glad you're able to join us on this Sabbath day after Thanksgiving. And as we're entering into the uh, Christmas season, I like to think of this time of year as the season of feasting. And it begins with the great feast of Thanksgiving, and we just flow on continuously through December into Christmas and on to New Year's, and then we get back to focus and striving and achievement and all of those other things that dominate so much of our life. But, but I like for this to be a time here and at home and wherever we are where we just, we just appreciate what the year has brought and the fact that we made it all the way month number 11 and then month number 12. It's amazing. It's amazing all the days, isn't it? All the days that we live, all the moments in those days. We had occasion at our house this last week to uh, relive a few moments. Uh, My son Aaron is here from uh, Southern and he got us a new computer and he brought it home and all of the information that was on Alicia's old computer is now on this new computer but the fun thing about Alicia's old computer was there was so much information on that computer that it didn't work anymore so it was not even useful information but we got it all moved over onto this new one and and it turns out there's probably about 2,000 REL videos is that a a reasonable number I think yeah so she figured out that you just could record yourself and we have all these videos of her from the time when she was quite a bit younger than now and doing all those things and there's family videos on there from other times and you look back on it and you think yeah it really was that crazy wasn't it I'm not just not just remembering that falsely but it's like they say, uh, particularly those of you with young children right now, the days are long, but the years are short. And it goes really fast, and then one day they're all taller than you and, and things like that. But it, it reminds us to be thankful. Thankful for the days, thankful for the hours, thankful for the moments. I'm so glad we have a moment here now that we can gather again in this place and be together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask your Holy Spirit now to be with us as we consider your word and the admonitions of Paul. Do we have reason to be thankful? Help us to see that today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with uh, a to-do list, kind of funny after I tell you the season of feasting is here and we're not striving, but Paul has a little to-do list for us today, and I want to go through it. Patty just read it to us a moment ago, but I want to slow down and walk through it piece by piece. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, and I've got the Bible you have there in front of you if you want to grab it and follow along. Colossians chapter 3 beginning in verse 12 says put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience. All right, I'm going to slow down because that that blows right by you because there's so much being said here. First of all, he's he's telling us I want you to put this on. In other words, to to like you put on your your fancy dress today to come to clothe yourself. He's saying, let what I'm about to tell you be what people see first in you. But before he tells you what those things are, he starts with a reason why. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones alright right. one of the first things you need to have in your brain if you're going to get to the end of this and be able to be thankful is the awareness that you are among God's chosen people let me say that a different way because you might think well yeah they're all chosen but I'm not let me say it this way you are one of God's chosen people he sees you He knows you, and he has chosen you to be a part of his kingdom. He's reached out to you with the Holy Spirit. He's brought conviction to your heart that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the one in whom you've put your faith. You are chosen to be a part of God's kingdom. All who are willing to believe are chosen by God but he goes on as God's chosen ones holy and beloved well you might be thinking of yourself and thinking well I don't know how well I'm doing on the holiness scale well maybe let's not put it in the category of sinless living I'm not against sinless living if you can pull that off go for it yeah do that that's awesome but holy in this context means set apart it goes along with chosen to be chosen by God is to be set apart by God for his purpose you are chosen and set apart for God's purpose but but not just picked because you had some amazing skill and set apart because if you don't get this list done God's not gonna like you there's another word here too. set apart chosen and beloved to God you are lovable even if sometimes to each other not so much but to God you are beloved. He looks at you. He sees in you everything that you can be and everything that you are. And when he sees it, he loves you. So this is where it starts. Paul says, You're chosen, you're set apart for God's purpose, you're beloved therefore have a compassionate heart because obviously God has a compassionate heart if we are beloved to him given all our flaws and our imperfections yet he calls us his beloved and what he says is as I have loved you so also you love one another beloved love one another so have a compassionate heart have a heart that when you see another human in need that you're inclined to help now I gotta confess this one's not natural for me I've had to learn this I have people in my house that it's natural for my wife very compassionate heart Gable very compassionate heart they see anyone struggling with anything at all and they immediately want to help I immediately want to keep doing what I'm doing learning a compassionate heart is important because God has a heart of compassion for us the next word, kindness it matters how you do what you do see way too many people try to pass off the fact that they're just mean and rude by trying to claim that they're just being honest no you're just being rude there is a way to say truth that is not offensive learn it it's called kindness learn it and use it you don't have to be a jerk to be honest kindness humility we don't need to prove ourselves to each other we're accepted by God we're part of the community together no one is to to seem to be exalted and it is something we're called to why because we're chosen and because we've been made holy and because we're beloved let's go on verse 13 bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The people of God should be a forgiving community. Now this does not mean we stand aside when, when abuses take place. Possible to not offend one another from time to time. Alicia and I have been married 33 years today, and never once. What's that? Stand closer, like this. Yeah. Oh, move the whole stand. Well, I'm actually supposed to stand back because the whole. Hey, I'm back on. All right, thank you. Yes, 33 years, and I still don't do what I'm told. You can't help but offend one another every now and then. And do you know how long a list of offenses Alicia could have on me by now? You can't be a community of love if you will not be a forgiving people. And what is the standard for forgiveness? As God has forgiven you, so you forgive one another. How many things is God still holding against you? That's a whole theological question right there that some of you need to wrestle with because some of you may think he is. But that's not the nature of the forgiveness of God. We are to have that spirit in our hearts. Verse 14, and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This was that issue that came out, one of the issues that came out in the pulse check and that we landed on in the context of the five questions. In fact, it was one of the questions that everyone asks. Do you love me? If we can have that love for one another, intergenerational, cross-sectional, cross-socio-economical, that we don't just put ourselves in little categories, but that when we recognize one another as part of this same community, the first impulse in our heart is an impulse of love. See, then put on love, because what does it do? It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Harmony. I think love for one another is is what we've done best, Alicia and I, in our 33 years. Because it certainly hasn't been, at least on my part, perfect execution all the time. But love has held it together. A little Captain and Tennille moment there, for those of you old enough to appreciate that reference. Love will keep us together. It's true in the community. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. All right, just just a little check, a little self-check right in this moment. Peace in your heart or strife in your heart? Which is it? You don't have to admit it. Just, Just think about it. Am I peaceful at heart, or do I have strife? There's reasons for strife. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of difficulties. It can be emotional stress. There can be work stress. There can be finance stress. There can be concern for others' stress. It can be hard to have peace in your heart, but I want you to know that you are called to live in peace. Somehow, through the Holy Spirit, God is able to keep us in perfect peace. You remember this verse? Whose mind is fixed on you. He will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is fixed on him. So, can we do that? We obviously can't keep the power going, but can we do that? And then there's one more phrase. He says, and be thankful. So that's a pretty long to-do list, isn't it? Have a compassionate heart, filled with kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Be forgiving. Love one another. Have peace in your heart. And be thankful. How's your thankful quotient today? If thankfulness is a function of whether everything is going the way you want it or not, plan on not living much of your life being thankful. But if thankfulness is based on something deeper than that, then as Pastor Jay was saying earlier in the story, maybe you can be thankful. Even in trial. Even in difficulty. What do you think? And be thankful. But why? We were very pleased and blessed this particular Thanksgiving to have Gary and Sean and Terry join us for our Thanksgiving meal together. And we had a great time there together. And I read something to them in the context of Thanksgiving that you'll just have to suffer through it again here that I want to read to you that was written by President Abraham Lincoln in a time of great stress and difficulty and troubles. You know, we often associate the idea of Thanksgiving with the concept of uh, 1620 of Plymouth Rock or 21 and the pilgrims and the, and the Native Americans that were there in that region. But really, Thanksgiving itself was kind of an inconsistent and spotty thing until the 1860s. Did you know that? It was not a regular thing. It was not until October 3, 1863, that President Abraham Lincoln wrote this proclamation it goes like this. I've got it for you here on the screen, I think, so you can follow along if I'm reading. There we go. It's a little small, so it's a test for those of you that are further back. Here it goes. A proclamation. The year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensitive to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. Don't you wish we still had politicians who wrote things that were this well-written and this true? Man, it's amazing. Anyway, going on. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict, while that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union." Needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, and the mines as well of iron and coal as of the precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp the siege and the battlefield and the country rejoicing in the consciousness in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedoms now realize he's writing this in the middle of the civil war in the middle of the hardest most difficult conflict this country has faced. Now now listen to his words here. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. You see, Lincoln was under no illusion that the strife of the Civil War was the cause was caused by the sins of a people who tolerated for so long injustice and slavery within our nation. He goes on. The way he says this, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. That's how Thanksgiving, as we know it, came to be. It was set apart by Abraham Lincoln. He chose the date and told us, It should be a day for us of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience. We never use words like that anymore, do we? No, because we're all perfect, right? Are we no longer even able to see ourselves? With humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. How often do we pray like that? Lord, we say, Lord, take away my suffering and do it on my schedule. Lincoln says, Lord, take away our suffering as it fits your plan. Man powerful. In testimony thereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Done at the city of Washington this 3rd day of October in the year of our Lord 1863 and of the independence of the United States the 88th by President Abraham Lincoln. I read things like that and I think, man, I've become shallow. Man, I've become self-centered. If I think my thankfulness can only rest upon the notion that everything is going the way I want. Somehow I've turned the concept of heaven into the place where my will is done instead of the place where God's will is done. The thankfulness that should come from my heart is not because I got things my way. It's because God is on the throne. And he has called me beloved. What do we have to be thankful for? Well, I read this text last Sabbath, Ephesians chapter 2. I want to go back there again. What do we have to be thankful for? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Skip down to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What cause do we have to be thankful? Well, we were dead. But in Jesus, we've been made alive. And not just for this life, but the promise for an age to come when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm thankful for that. What else do we have to be thankful for? Well, it's similar. John 3.16, you know this one? You want to say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that a promise to be thankful for? That one's so good, they hold it up on a sign in the end zone at a football game. I saw it this year. That used to be a big thing in the 70s. Apparently, it's made a comeback. Are you thankful for that? How about this one? 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Do you have the Son? Because if you do, you have life. Even if this mortal body is wasting away, there is the promise of God for what is to come. He who has the Son... She who has the Son of God has life. For this, we're thankful. And then finally, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Anything here to be thankful for? 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We're getting down to that, that season where you start to hear the Messiah. And this is one of those Great choruses from the Messiah. Since by man came death. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Yes the situation is tough. But God has intervened. Yes we face death as the sons and daughters of Adam. But we face and are granted eternal life as the sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. Any reason to be thankful there? You see, true thanksgiving is centered in the work of God. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You ever feel like everything you're doing is just for nothing? When you are in the Lord, your labors are not in vain. We talked about this last Sabbath and when we talked about Ephesians 2. He says, For, for we, we are who He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have purpose. And that purpose is not in vain. Even if it feels like you're wasting away. Even it feels like everything you've done is accomplishing nothing. The promise is it's not in vain when it's work for the kingdom of God. For you are establishing the truth that in Jesus Christ is grace for all. It's thanksgiving in our hearts that's centered in the work of God and it's set in motion and got its start to the completion of the great work that God wanted done on the day when our Lord Jesus was born. I want to invite the band to come back because they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And while they're coming back, I want to read you another quote, one that that is very precious to me that I read every year as we get down around this season that comes from the book Desire of Ages, written by Ellen White, the story of Jesus and his life. And this is early on. This is around page 31. We find these words. It says, The Savior's coming was foretold in Eden. When Adam and Eve first heard the promise, they looked for its speedy fulfillment. They joyfully welcomed their firstborn son, hoping that he might be the deliverer, but the fulfillment of the promise tarried. Have you ever known the promise to take a long time? Those who first received it died without the sight. From the days of Enoch, the promise was repeated through patriarchs and prophets, keeping alive the hope of his appearing, and yet he came not. The prophecy of Daniel revealed the time of his advent, but not always rightly interpreted the message. Century after century passed away. The voices of prophets ceased. The hand of the oppressor was heavy upon Israel. And many were ready to exclaim, The days are prolonged, and every vision faileth. But like the stars in the vast circuit of their appointed path, God's purposes know no haste and no delay. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. Providence had directed the movements of nations and the tide of human impulse and influence until the world was ripe for the coming of the Deliverer. With intense interest, the unfallen worlds had watched to see Jehovah arise and sweep away the inhabitants of the earth. And if God should do this, Satan was ready to carry out his plan for securing to himself the allegiance of heavenly beings. He had declared that the principles of God's government make forgiveness impossible. Had the world been destroyed, he would have claimed that his accusations were proved true. He was ready to cast blame upon God and to spread his rebellion to the worlds above. But instead of destroying the world... God sent his son to save it. Though corruption and defiance might might be seen in every part of the alien province, a way for its recovery was provided. At the very crisis, when Satan seemed about to triumph, the Son of God came with the embassage of divine grace. Through every age, through every hour, The love of God has been exercised towards the fallen race, notwithstanding the perversity of men. The signals of mercy had been continually exhibited, and when the fullness of time had come, the deity was glorified by pouring upon the world a flood of healing grace that was never to be obstructed or withdrawn until the plan of salvation should be fulfilled. The heart of the human father yearns over his son. He looks into the face of his little child and trembles at the thought of life's peril. He longs to shield his dear one from Satan's power, to hold him back from temptation and conflict. To meet a bitterer conflict and a more fearful risk, God gave his only begotten son that the path of life might be made sure for our little ones. Herein is love. Wonder, O heavens, and be astonished, O earth. So we enter this season of feasting with a heart of thanksgiving, not because everything is perfect, but because God is good, and he has sent his son Jesus to save us. Therefore, glory To God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Because in a manger in Bethlehem, our newborn king sleeps. He has come to save the world.